The only purpose of the Talking Space podcast is to educate and to inform. The views expressed in this program are the opinions, experiences, and conclusions of the guests. They do not represent the official policy or position of the Space Tweep Society as a whole, NASA, any other space agency, company, contractor, or affiliate. We choose to go to Everybody to the third season of Talking Space. This is the first episode of season three, meaning this is episode 301, starting for the week of January 3rd, 2011. Managed to get that right. And joining <laughs> us, actually, thank you to two nights of recording, is the entire team. So with us is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. And a welcome to you too, sir. How you doing today? I'm doing all right, thank you. Welcome as well, Mark Rennerman. The Doyles have been asking for you. And in fact, they have. <laughs> <laughs> Did I well, get you with that one? <laughs> oh. Man. Well, I'm here. <laughs> oh man. Okay, and welcome as well, Gina Hurley. Thank you, Sawyer. I'm glad to be here tonight. Now, I'll say once again that this recording was actually recorded over two separate recording sessions, and thanks to those two sessions being edited together as one, we have a show which will showcase the best of space and talking space in 2010. All right, so let's begin here a little bit by recapping some of the biggest stories of 2010. And of course, how could we not start it with the space shuttle scheduled to retire in 2010? However, as we predicted many shows ago, it did not actually complete in 2010 and is going into this year, 2011, when it is scheduled now, once again, to finally finish flying and retire. However, during the year 2010, there were in fact three flights. There was Endeavour on STS-130, which launched in February of 2010. The Space Shuttle Discovery launched on STS-131 on April 5th. The Space Shuttle Atlantis took off on May 14th on STS-132. Now, a little bit about those flights, just so you know. Space Shuttle Endeavour was a very big one, bringing up the Tranquility Node and the Cupola, the final United States manned component to the space station. The Space Shuttle Discovery then brought up the Leonardo Multi-Purpose Logistics Module with supplies inside, and the Space Shuttle Atlantis actually brought up the Rosvet Module, which was a Russian module. It had six astronauts and was Atlantis's final scheduled flight. Pretty big for a shuttle, huh? Yeah, it was a big year, um, and uh, Gina and I had the uh, high honor of uh, being at the uh, what turned out to be the last flight 
of uh, 2010, uh, we were among the 150 lucky folks who uh, got to be at the Kennedy Space Center uh, via one of the NASA tweet-up events, which they do so elegantly and do so well over there. But uh, that was probably one of my uh, one of my high points of the year is to witness that launch. Um, all of the flights, you know, they, we 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 took our bumps, we took our bruises, but all of them worked out, and they worked out fairly well. Um, it's just now that uh, you know we, we kind of are a little bit in, in a holding pattern as of November fifth, but uh, we'll just uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens with uh, with the stringers and uh, how they're repairing them, and they are taking every every precaution they can to make sure things uh, things go well with that. But it will be good to see the uh, the, the the birds go out on a, on a very high note, and I would strongly expect that that will be the the case with uh, with the shuttle program. I'm sure uh, it will it will fly out and it will fly out with distinction. Um, you know, this again, the uh, I guess it was uh, back in February of this year. Um, we went ahead and, uh, or should I say, the president uh, turned in the uh, 2011. Uh, budget request, and basically it went ahead and trashed the Constellation program completely and decided that uh, we would go ahead and go on, off on a, on a completely new direction. That new direction would be to turn over um, to private industry the job of getting astronauts to and from the International Space Station and also cargo. Well, NASA went ahead and decided that it was going to go on to develop what it called game-changing applications and technologies, meaning new propulsion systems and so on, that could hopefully be leveraged later on as we moved on through all of this uh, into, you know, 20, as we moved on to 2030, uh, to possibly getting us to back to Mar- going to the moon and back to and going on to Mars after that. So, you know, what did you guys think of the large melee that uh, that happened as a result of all that? Well, I at this point, I you know whether it was the right decision or the wrong decision because you you took away a program that was over over budget and. Uh, delayed, severely delayed. Was that the right thing to do? Or you had an infrastructure that was at least working. You knew you were going to have a product at the end that was going to be functional. And now you've just put a gap in NASA's progress timeline for potentially a decade plus. Uh, Right decision or wrong decision? I guess history's got to write that chapter yet. But I think there's just a lot of people, um, a lot of good engineers and a lot of good NASA management out there and a lot of good contractors that are left scratching their head, holding the bag, not sure what's next for them personally or uh, for the direction of NASA and the American Manned Space Program. So, um, and unfortunately, I think really what's come of it is a lot of people in America, just regular Joe Schmo, doesn't even realize um where we're at at this point because there's just no news coming out of NASA and or no new news I should say and I think that's what eventually is going to hurt because when there is something to sell the American public they may have lost um, a lot of interest by the time that NASA figures out what the next step is 
Do you think that was the major problem with the whole thing? Because that was that was something that I believe one of our guests, Rusty Schweikert, uh, made that same comment, and it was something that I kind of sort of alluded to as well. That I think the selling of this whole thing was was the biggest failure um, of of the administration. If you if you look at it, you know, from a from a financial standpoint, it may not be the worst way to go. But it was just the way it was sold. I think they, they, they kind of muddled that message. Do you think that that's the case here or, or, or what? Well, you know, you can read Wayne Hale's blog, too, about, you know, the whole Augustine Commission. Was it really, um, did it really have purpose or was it sort of just a dog and pony show to satisfy the fact that, you know, the president had some clear, solid advice on, what we should do going forward. Um, apparently there was a budget that they were going to stick to regardless of what the outcome of what that committee's recommendation had made. So I don't know. I think a lot of people beyond NASA and the Office of Management and Budget are driving this decision with the president. I mean, certainly America is not in the position it was in the 60s to have sort of a, a blank check to um, fund NASA. But, um, you know, without clear goals, and there really wasn't clear goals with Constellation. I mean, yeah, Moon, Mars, and beyond. Okay, when? And what exactly were we going to accomplish? Now, we've taken our first steps on the moon. Are we putting a moon base up? Are we putting a launch pad on the moon to get to Mars? I mean, that hadn't been decided, so you can't really talk that up so much. Turns out 2010, after doing a little bit of research here, was a busy year. It was 74 total launches. So for three shuttle launches out of 74, there was a lot of unmanned in there as well. By the way, just as an aside, uh, today, January the the day of this record of this part of the recording, January 5th, um, marks a bit of a milestone in uh, in shuttle history. Today, I think what marks uh, what almost. Back in 1972, somebody do the math very quickly, um, the shuttle program was approved. 33 by, years ago? Yep, I think that was it. Um, on, this di- on this day today, uh, Richard oh, Nixon... Oh, 38, sorry. I'm sorry, thank you. Um, Richard Nixon signed the, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the legislation making the shuttle program a reality. So here we are talking about the end of the program, and, and today kind of, kind of uh, was its birthday, if you will. So uh, it, uh, you know, it, it's kind of weird talking about the end of the program on a, on a day like today. Very. Speaking of which, a fun fact: one of the major spacecraft that was actually retired this year in 2010 on its final flight was the Delta II rocket. So that's very true. That is very, very true indeed. Uh, should be, uh, you know, but but the deltas are, you know, in different forms are still going off to very good careers. So, in fact, uh, if I'm not too mistaken, Delta IV Heavy, or a Delta IV Heavy, has been uh, sort of earmarked by Lockheed Martin to carry the first unmanned Orion spacecraft launch in the not too distant future. I think they've tempor- they've slated that for sometime in 2013, if I'm not mistaken. So we've got a little time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
Speaking of a little time, it's taken just a little time. It was supposed to be a couple of years. But here we are in 2011. It was officially completed in 2010. The International Space Station now has all of its human-capable components installed. So that means that every human quarter is now on the International Space Station. Pretty exciting, huh? We're almost done. Yeah, let me see. The The station was first proposed by then-President Ronald Reagan back in 1984. He, he basically said he wanted it done in a decade. Well, when did the first parts uh, loft up, guys? I think it was 1989, 1998. 98, yes. Yeah, so, you know, um, that's when the base block module uh, was uh, was launched by, uh, by, by Russia. So, uh, but here we are, she's almost finished, and if the shuttle program is to have a legacy, I think the ISS will be it. Will be just part, it'll be a part of that, that, that legacy, that's for sure, but, uh, well, not, you know, correction, we still have Hubble up there and so on and so forth, but, uh, I think the ISS would be sort of like the crown jewel for the, sh- for the space shuttle and, it, and its, uh, illustrious career. By the way, the one thing with what you were saying, that it was in 1984, 1984, the space station Freedom was proposed. When the International Space Station was proposed, it was a little bit after that. And yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, that that in fact, um, uh, the uh, International Space Station was actually a 1994 critter um, that was proposed by uh, by Bill Clinton. He basically took pieces of uh, the space station Freedom and decided to go ahead and and add an international flavor to it. At the time, uh, I was a I was an intern at uh, NSS headquarters when that news came down, and there was a little bit of de- of a debate about that and how that was all going to work out. I was on the fence. I'll be honest with you um, about that, and uh, I was like, "Well, we'll, we'll soon see," because I thought it was just going to be too you know adding a lot of cooks into the soup. And I didn't at the time. I didn't think it was going to be well coordinated, but gloriously and uh, you know, this has actually been a, an extraordinary cooperative so it, it will be very very good to see uh, to see if this leads to anything else um, with reference to uh, to spaceflight whether whether or not we can actually work together on larger projects than, than uh, ISS and speaking of larger projects mark you've got there was something that happened uh, during uh, the downtime, if you want to b- talk about that a little bit. Sure. Uh, something that popped up on Twitter that uh, I managed to uh, get in on, and actually it's still uh, going on to a certain extent, but it's called the ISS Wave. And they have a Twitter account, which is at ISS Wave, I-S-S-W-A-V-E, and what ISS Wave is all about is a round-the-world wave by us humans on Earth towards our fellow humans on board the International Space Station. And this is from their website, which you can link to off of the Twitter page. But uh, if you just look for ISSWave.org on Google, I think you'll come up with it. But they've got a uh, an interesting map, the ISS Wave map, which uh, when you bring it up and uh, let it load is just covered up with with little spots indicating where people have waved from and of course the the heavy areas is the United States uh, Europe they're scattered over South America Africa and the 
east, and I think it's pretty slick. Yeah, Mark, I'm looking at that right now, and it's kind of interesting to see all the the points on the um, on the Earth where uh, where uh, folks have gone ahead and just waved at uh, waved at this this glorious machine um, that's uh, that's orbiting above us. In fact, right now I'm looking at the uh, looking at the page now, and you can actually see a little silhouette of the um, of the ISS moving across right now as we record. Um, oh yeah, looks like looks like California. Um, Moving over Baja and and uh, aiming towards Central America, which is it, it's kind of neat. You can just see see the thing tracking. So um, I, I just noticed that that is that's awesome. Yeah, ain't that neat? So um, come on, Kansas, I, you got to get into it. There's no one really waving there. <laughs> yeah, come on, darn it. But uh, yeah, it's this is kind of neat, and it, it's uh, I've been kind of throttling this thing back the 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 the, uh, the images back and forth and seeing who's who's waving from where, and it's it's kind of neat. So if if anybody wants to go ahead and play with something that, that's kind of cool and they've got some free time, by all means, do it. It's neat. And uh, even though their official wave, the live period was December twenty fourth to the thirty first of December. Uh, Via their Twitter feed, I do see where it says, even though the wave is over, our map will keep registering waves, so wave away. And as for future official waves, watch this space. So this is going to be something to continue. And also, uh, if you look at the Heavens Above website, they've got a new feature on that site now that shows you daytime and non-visible passes. And so you can actually see when the ISS is going over. You can wave in daylight. The astronauts will be able to see you better. <laughs> and you might be, you know, and and with all due respect, this thing is about as big as a football field. You might be able to go ahead and the sun's hitting it just right. You might be able to go ahead and see it in broad daylight because I've heard people say they can see the ISS in uh, in daylight. So, and by far the most waves is actually, it's like a tie almost between the East Coast and uh, a section of California, the two heaviest wavers. Yep. And it tells you who waved, and it's really neat. Yeah, it's kind of it, it. It really is a neat toy. I'm I'm sitting there, and this if if you're if you're if you're bored, you can go ahead and really really play with this thing a lot, and it's it looks like it's it looks like it's a really really a heck of a lot of fun. Wait a minute, Gene. Did you just say that you're bored recording Talking Space? <laughs> heck no. But let's go ahead. Yeah, let, I I think we should move on. I'm closing the window. <laughs> So I don't get distracted by that. <laughs> Let's continue along with the podcast. Why not? What's our next big story of 2010, Gene? Lamar's exploration rovers. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like we've uh, we've lost one of them. Um, Spirit is uh, kind of ran aground uh, this year, and uh, is still stuck in a in a region called Troy in. Uh, on Mars, uh, it looked like that uh, that will be her final stop in that little little dune there that she's she's kind of sort of stuck in. But uh, this is what about this would mark uh, almost seven years and almost seven years exactly seven years to almost the recording date, correct, sir? Um, yes, indeed. That uh, you know these things were operating past their warranties, so to speak. Um, if if we have lost spirit, and it looks like you know, odds are that we have, uh, 
that uh, shoot, um, we, we really got our money's worth out, out of that particular uh, robotic device. And her, her partner, Opportunity, is still chugging along. So, um, and uh, later on this year, they'll be joined by its bigger brother, uh, Curiosity, which I believe is due to launch this fall, although I've heard December as well. So I'm, I'm not exactly too sure about the, the exact launch dates. Um, someone has to go ahead and send me to the clue store on that one. But uh, uh, and Curiosity is a is a rather large, capable vehicle itself. So if if that's to be uh, uh, Spirit's successor, then, uh, then then you know she's uh, she's done well. Um, and uh, that you know anybody connected with that particular rover has got nothing to hang their head down about. There was some really good stuff there, so. Uh, congratulations to uh, to Little Spirit, and uh, her memory will live on forever. But uh, her, as I said, her, uh, her her other sister opportunity is still chugging along and still doing some very good stuff on Mars. Yes, yeah, Spirit landed on January fourth. Opportunity landed on January twenty fifth. Both the year two thousand four. Mm-hmm. And by the way, not Nina, not Pinta, but opportunities at. So Santa Maria crater right now. Yep, she'll be spending that, and that's a pretty sizable crater, right, sir? It's about the size of a football field, yeah. Yeah, so sorry, a football stadium. Wow. So, excuse me. So, um, you know, again, opportunity still has a lot of life left in her, and uh, hopefully, she'll keep plugging along and keeping uh, Spirit's legacy alive. And to our international listeners, that's American football field size (laughs) you laugh we have listeners from all around the world that's very true i almost i almost wanted i almost wanted to scream goal but anyway (laughs) okay then all right and the last big thing that we're going to talk about in 2010 is nasa's attempt at outreach and they believe the outreach is through social media and they used Twitter to its biggest advantage. In doing so, they created multiple tweet-ups, which are meetups of Twitter people that happened to get together, and they were selected out of a lottery, in fact. And, Gene, I believe you were there at one or two of them, right? Yeah, we've actually, I've actually been, uh, been lucky enough to go to a couple of them. Uh, we, uh, uh, I got invited. Well, invited. I, I I lucked out and got to the one, the first one at uh, in Washington D.C. Uh, that was the STS-125 tweet up with uh, the STS-125 um, crew. Um, I also had the high honor of attending the STS-129 tweet up with you, Mark, and I had the. Uh, uh, honor too of uh, getting selected for uh, SGS 132 and went to other other events there was a great one in New York um, just recently this summer uh, and uh, uh, I mean, NASA really really does a very good job at these things I and mean, another one um, that I, I had the privilege of going to um, was the uh, one in Houston in around uh, in February and that, to me, was was. Well, we'll get to that one later. But uh, uh, NASA again rolls out the red carpet on these things, and and really, really shows what each of 
these thing these uh, particular installations do and and do well and uh, uh, hats off to them for, for doing the exquisite job and, and anybody connected with uh, um, anybody connected with putting any of these together the success that NASA's had with uh, their tweet up program. Um, and this is maybe the reason why NASA has obviously embarked upon doing this, where they've invited, you know, regular um, members of society, whether they're Americans or international citizens, to come and take part of an event at NASA, certainly a space shuttle launch or other meet and greets with astronauts, uh, Johnson Space Center, up close and personal tours. Um, you know, and it's been a way for NASA to use social media participants to go out there and, you know, put NASA's message out there on the Internet and say, hey, they're doing great stuff. It's cool. It's neat. I learned this. Here's a link to this that they're doing. And, hey, look at me with an astronaut. I mean, they've been, they've been uh, fairly effective in using people um, to get their message out there for them. And I think that's bought NASA a lot of goodwill. Uh, Mark, you had a couple of more insights into this than I had. Yeah, they're quite extraordinary. And when you when you look at the scope of what NASA has accomplished in in a period of uh, I suppose just over a year, they've had tweet ups at Kennedy Space Center, at Johnson Space Flight Center. Uh, there was an SDO is go tweet up that got somewhat hampered by weather uh, in February, but that was one that was originally to take place in. Uh, uh, oh, help me out. Where's the? Uh, is it Goddard? It was scheduled for Goddard, and I believe there was a launch tweet up that uh, yes. did happen um, to witness the launch of SDO and a lot right, of other, they, yeah. Yeah, some yeah, were selected for Goddard, some were selected for the actual launch site. However, most of the people that went to Goddard still actually drove all the way down to Florida or flew all the way down to Florida to see the launch. That was an extraordinary group. And there's also, yeah. one, as, as, you, as you said, Gene, there was several at uh, headquarters, and you had a shuttle crew that you've already talked about. There was one that I went to this past summer that was... Uh, uh, T.J. Creamer, he was yes. one of the astronauts on board the ISS, so he was a solo participant at that headquarters tweet-up, and it was a very engaging two hours. And just uh, just comment, anybody that, that doesn't really uh, know much about it or, or perhaps even really think of it all that much, um, one of the comments that's, that's very often stated by people at the tweet-ups is that it's a life-changing experience. And so if you've got an opportunity to look at one that's coming up, which the window of registration may close before, uh, sh- shortly after or before this podcast is out, but there's one coming up at NASA Ames Research Center in California, and they're going to feature Kepler and Sophia. And I just think NASA's doing a phenomenal job, and I think it's a great opportunity to learn some some good technical and yet uh, not so technical that that common folk like me can't understand it details about what the premier space program in the world is doing yeah we mentioned you mentioned too that um, uh, I have to have to mention the most recent one that occurred um, at uh, at uh, NASA not NASA headquarters um, over at uh, the Kennedy Space Center 
the STS-133 tweet up, which was supposed to culminate in the launch of STS-133. Unfortunately, the bird didn't exactly cooperate. But um, these folks got into some other facilities that not everybody gets to see. Um, for instance, this particular group that I know of got into the vehicle assembly building. Uh, and that alone just sends shivers down your spine. And they were able to go ahead and take a look at the same building that the Saturn V was constructed in and where the shuttles are, are set up for flight today. So... Um, and they're you know, still there. They're still there, looking up, going, "Wow!" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, it, go ahead, one of Mike. the things you're one of the things you're probably about to mention is that many of them have said, "We're coming back." When this, when one thirty three launches, we're coming back, and we're talking people from across the country and around the world that want to see their shuttle fly. And that's uh, another just a little hint as to how involved and how close you feel to what you experience at these tweet-ups. Exactly, and, and the only thing I can, I can say is really echo what, what Mark had just said uh, earlier. If you do have an opportunity, and I do sincerely mean this, if you have an opportunity to go to one of these things, please sign up, throw your name in the hat, and, because it's, it's well worth the time and well worth the effort. I know NASA will continue the continue the the tweet up program, and uh, uh, I'm sure there's some extraordinary stuff ahead ahead for the future of that. So please, by all means, do it. Underline in red three times. Alrighty then. So I think we should wrap up this combined show with a little bit of editing magic. We'll take this and we will put together a little scrapbook. We'll put it that way. A little collage of our favorite moments of 2010 as said by us so who do we want to begin with who would like to start off how about you mark what were your favorite moments of 2010 you know when you think about the year past you tend to think about well gee what was the best of something or other what was the most interesting what had the greatest impact and the problem with that is it leaves out so many lesser things that, that had events and impact of their own. So what I'm going to throw out is, I think, something that's important for, for people to keep in mind is whatever interests you, whatever excites you, whatever you're the most knowledgeable about and and want to share with other people is the the best of the things that you've seen. And I'll tell you what mine was. In my case... It wasn't the shuttle. It wasn't hardware per se. It wasn't uh, plans. It wasn't uh, anything of a historical nature being resurrected. Uh, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. 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 But what it was is the AMS two, and there, not the instrument, but the collaboration involved, and that is something that I saw. Uh, via press access to the AMS-2 arrival at Kennedy Space Center and getting to realize that when they talk about an international collaboration and you've got 16 countries, three continents, 56 institutions, and over 600 physicists, literally hundreds and thousands when you get down to technicians, administrative people, the uh, educational institutions that supported it, the, the government bureaucrats, bless their souls, uh, they even thanked the military that flew the C-5 Galaxy um, 
that carry the instrument from Europe to Kennedy Space Center. And the collaboration was something that I saw firsthand because I heard an Italian scientist speak to the press. I heard a German scientist. I heard a Spanish gentleman speak to the press. I heard uh, Dr. Samuel Ting. Uh, I heard a scientist from Taiwan. And, and again, the, the administrative people, part of the Department of Energy in the U.S., the representatives from NASA. And that was the thing that opened my eyes the most and surprised me the most because it wasn't the things that, that I'm used to thinking are, 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 are big stuff. It wasn't the shuttle. It wasn't the vehicle assembly building. It wasn't a tweet-up. It wasn't a launch. Of course, you know, the tweet-up in particular, that opens a lot of doors and has you focusing and looking closer at things that are that are there to be seen. So AMS-2 is, is my thing for 2010, but uh, it's a case of that's what I saw. That's what I got close to, and that's something that uh, talking to other people about, people that don't necessarily know a thing about it are going to go, huh, really? Huh, I never heard of that. I didn't know that. And maybe they'll look a little further, dig a little deeper to find something that interests them. And that's where the whole concept that uh, when you go back to TweetUp, where NASA wants to get the word out, when you get people that get a little more excited, a little more energized, get a little more attention by friends, family, co-workers, uh, fellow students, uh, et cetera, et cetera, when you, you get a little interest from people that know that that you're interested and focused on something, all of a sudden people are thinking, oh, I heard about such and such. Let me go ask Mark if he's heard this. And then you get a discussion going. And I think that's uh, that was a big, big thing for me in this past year. Gene, what about you? Favorite moments of 2010? For me personally, um, there were actually two. Um, as, as I sort of alluded to uh, before, I had the uh, great honor of uh, getting selected for the STS-130 tweet-up at uh, the Johnson Space Flight Center in Houston, Texas, um, or in this really in Clear Lake. Um, and now keep in mind, I did go, I was also, uh, I got into the STS-132 event as well which was a launch, but this one at 1.30 was more more important to me. Uh, I got into, as part of the tweet-up, I was able to get into um, the Mission Operations Control Room, or the MOKER. This was essentially the old Mission Control Center where uh, folks like uh, Gene Krantz, uh, Glenn Money, Chris Kraft, all these, uh, all these giants... Uh, once we're in this room controlling the first uh, Gemini and Apollo flights. And uh, to be in that room that you saw as a five or six-year-old and knowing that in this room is where it all happened. This is where the magic happened. This is where, uh, this is where the astronauts were, were, made, were made sure that the astronauts were good, in good shape. And... Uh, it, it was just, you just got overwhelmed by this moment of history. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll be blunt, I got choked up. It was, it was just one of those, those magic moments. And I, there was, um, and, and forgive me, dear Lord, I, her name escapes me right now, but um, 
it was just one young lady that that saw me kind of sort of getting choked up and she goes yeah i know i i feel the same way and and she said here come here and she was kind enough to go ahead and take my photograph uh right near the flight director's uh station and uh you know that that was probably the one of the high moments uh for me personally of this year um another personal moment for me um I will say flat out was uh, just recently during um, our coverage of the uh, of the launch of STS-133, the launch that wasn't and uh, but will will be in uh, in February we hope. Um, I was back here uh, watching the news conferences, trying to keep it on top of things and making sure that uh, I was able to go ahead and, and talk intelligently about what was going on and, and pick out snippets to talk to uh, to all of you here on the show. And uh, I look over, and there are two familiar faces looking at me from, from the television set. Uh, that was uh, both you, Mark, and uh, you, Gina, uh, were over there. And, Mark, you were asking a rather, rather cogent and intelligent question of Mike Moses, and Mike Moses, of course, gave one of his textbook cogent replies back. And, you know, at that moment, I swear, I think I, I lost about five buttons on my shirt because I was so proud, proud of both of you guys just, just going over there and, 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 uh, and representing uh, the entire show and representing our audience as well as you did. So, uh, again, immense thank yous to both of you for that. You know, I'm surprised you saw me because uh, I was trying to ignore the fact that there was a video camera there. I was, <laughs> I was, I was really thinking I'm invisible. They'll hear me, but they won't see me. But uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a, quite a time. I'm glad to, glad to have been there. Alrighty then, Gina. What about you? Favorite moment or moments of 2010? Well, I guess I had the um, incredibly good fortune to participate at the 40th anniversary of Apollo 13 and um, in, at Kennedy Space Center. And it was a wonderful evening. Um, the astronauts that were all a part of it and the crew, Gene, uh, Gene Krantz was there, even Gunther Vent, a couple of weeks before he died. I talked to him that evening. And it was just really an incredible night where... Um, the culmination after the dinner was everybody in an auditorium and seated was um, Fred Hayes, Jim Lovell, Gene Krantz, and Charlie Duke panel style where they basically just told the tale of what happened. And it was interesting to, um, you know, just hear the guys and their repertoire um, between each other. And, you know, Jim Lovell was kind of making poking fun at Charlie Duke for never getting the measles and, you know, uh, Fred Hayes and Jim Lovell pointing out the fact that Gene Krantz never said failure is not an option and showing some video and really just, um, it was just really sort of an electric evening. I mean, I might as well have just been me and the four of them in a room and I just sat silent because you could have heard a pin drop. Um, while any of the four of them spoke. And it was just really um, an incredible event. I was very fortunate that I had the opportunity to be there. And um, many people who know me probably know very easily that Jim Lovell is my number one hero in life. And, um, 
you know, I just follow the man wherever he goes. So, um, it was just, a to me, a very incredible and personally satisfying event to experience. Yeah, Gina, again, I'm, I'm here just hearing that story again. I'm, I'm envious as, as anything. I mean, that, that must have been just quite an evening. And I'm, I'm, number one, I'm just so happy that you had the opportunity to, to get over there and, and, and be a part of all that and come back to, to us and tell us all about that. That was, that was amazing. All right, now I have to get in here and give in my two moments that I actually enjoyed most of 2010. First, by far for me, was STS-130. It was a monumental mission bringing up the final United States pieces to the International Space Station, and even more monumental that I got to see it. So it has a personal connection with me, just the fact that I was able to actually go to the launch and see it, and it was supposed to be the last night launch, but it wasn't. That's still okay. I got to meet... um, a very good friend who happened to be a mother of one of the astronauts on board, so that was also a plus with that. And we've become great friends since the missions, and we still are actually now. And by far, it was a life-changing experience to go see that launch. And again, thank you to everybody that was there and that I got to meet up with. And of course, to Make-A-Wish, actually, for making it come true and happen. The second one actually has to do more with talking space and that's astronaut interviews is we have interviewed so many magnificent people on this show and i i can't even go on to name how many amazing people there have been but there are only about 500 people that have ever been in space and we've already had so many of them on this show it's to this day it still amazes me that we've been able to interview five different astronauts. Walter Cunningham, Tom Jones, Mike Mullane, Scott Parazinski, Rusty Schweikert. And four of the five of those were this season, by the way. Just a fun little fact. Season two was four of those five astronaut interviews. So that's pretty spectacular, in my opinion. (laughs) And just the fact that we were able to, you know be graced with their presence on the show and to be able to hear their insights and their stories it's honestly spectacular so thank you to the astronauts that came on and thank you to anybody and everybody that has been on the show and that will be on the show hopefully in the future yeah i was gonna go ahead and echo that um sawyer um really uh, my heartfelt thanks to everyone that took the time and thought of thought enough of what we were doing to communicate the uh, uh, the majesty of spaceflight to uh, to anyone who wants to listen. And uh, above all, you know, thank you, the listeners, for uh, the past year making the show as successful as it has been. Because without you guys, we don't do this. Um, so again, thanks for the out outpouring of support from everyone that has ever a been on our microphones and b that actually goes ahead takes the time downloads and thinks enough of our product to go ahead and listen and honestly from from the bottom of my heart thank you so much from the bottom of all of our hearts thank you for listening and making this show 
a success and bringing us already to three seasons without us saying, oh, there's no listenership, we should give up. We've got a fan base out there, and we thank you guys. This has been great, and we're looking forward to a great season three here with you guys in 2011. Problem is, now what do we do for an encore? <laughs> yeah, I know. We we had over almost, I have to double check, it's either almost or over 50 episodes last year. Almost one a week. We did pretty darn good last year. We got to top that somehow. Four astronauts. Uh, we're going to have to uh, kick it up another notch somehow. But I think we've got a couple tricks up our sleeves. I ain't mentioning what, but we do have some things planned. Yep, so let's get ready to pull that rabbit out of the hat later this year. But in the meantime, let's get ready to take this show and close it up. So once again, thank you to everybody who joined us here. Thank you, Gene McCulka. Thank you, Sawyer, and happy 2011 to one and all. Indeed. Thank you as well, Mark Ratterman. It's funny how we end up uh, saying how much we enjoy it, and we do. Oh, enjoying it is the biggest understatement. And thank you as well, Gina Hurley. Sure thing. And of course, as we were mentioning, thank you, the listener, once again, for being with us for as long as you've been listening. This is your first time. We hope you enjoyed it. And we look forward to you coming along with us for Season 3 and whatever 2011 will bring in space. But one thing hasn't changed, and that is have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be. There you are. (laughs) 